America. My name is I'm Yosef Frimpong. I come to you live every Thursday about this time. And today we're going to talk about survivorship bias. As people file in, I'm going to uh, say a few words about Whoopi Goldberg. Not much. I found out, and I think this is actually interesting, the woman who fired her is, uh, who suspended her, Whoopi, Whoopi got slapped for, for saying that the Holocaust wasn't about race. Um... And the, the woman who fired her, who suspended her, gave her time for reflection, is herself a sister and an HBCU grad. Right? So what does that mean? So this is the president of ABC who put Whoopi in timeout. <laughs> she hotboxed her. <laughs> hotboxed Whoopi. So she is a herself an HBCU grad and you know a black woman and I, it, it, this actually makes sense because i was thinking whoopi's a big deal i don't know um i you know she, i thought she was taken out rather easily right like whoopi's a big enough deal that if you're going to go for her i would think you would have like it, they would have to bring in a killer because she's not like some junior anything she's like one of the most famous black people in the world well, in the United States, I don't know about the world, but she's one of my, she's the most famous and definitely the most recognizable black person in the world. So the idea that um, she could just kind of be put on timeout like a child, which it was, <laughs> make no mistake, um, uh, <laughs> which, uh, Whoopi was sent to the corner. Um, and it, the, I did a whole show about that last week, so I'm not going to talk about that. I was like, I thought that happened rather easily. But I just assumed that it was some white lady who did it. But it turns out that it was a sister from uh, FAMU. So we got to sit a little bit with what that means. That an HBCU grad, um, Kim Godwin, is the one who put baby in a corner. Right? So how... Now, a lot of you guys will be surprised that that's the case. I won't be. HBCUs fired WB Du Bois. HBCUs fired Howard Zen. Um, HBCUs got their funding funding by Booker T. Washington saying, "You let us educate the Negroes. You give us some money. We will create good overseers, and we will not ask for <laughs> like any sort of equality. We'll let you run things." And so that was the deal that was struck by Booker T. Washington and the whites. And so you have to understand, is, is Kim Godwin an anomaly or is she the product? Are the people trying to try and, are they out there trying to be Whoopi Goldberg or are they out there trying to be Kim Godwin? I think that they're out there trying to be Kim Godwin. And what that means is that HBCUs are in the overseer business. They are black overseer schools. And... Um, they put Negroes in their place. And I, I've told you before, if you watch this show, one of the best jobs there is for black people is, um, you know, putting other black people in their place. I find that an unfortunate state of America and the job market. And if you support black people not having that job and having alternative means of income, go ahead and go to www.funkyacademic.com and kick in five, fifteen, or fifty dollars a month, and I'll keep doing what I do and encouraging you to do what you do because I'm what you call a free Negro, and I'm not I'm not sure that either Kim Godwin or Whoopi Goldberg are. 
So what that means, I'll just have to let you uh, figure out on your own. Um, but Whoopi is, is in the corner for two weeks and Kim Godwin is the, one, is the, is the hatchet lady. The, the, the HBCU hatchet lady. Like You have to ask yourself, is I think the radicals who graduate HBCUs are the bugs, not the features of the system. And the system exists in order to produce more Kim Godwins, black people who will serve as overseers of other black people. Uh, and that's, and Kim Godwin does her job here. And just one, just, you know, these are just what I see. And I see what I see and I says what I says. And which is important because Whoopi Goldberg in an interview she gave on Colbert says like she's not going to talk about this stuff anymore because it just gets her in too much trouble. Which means Whoopi Goldberg on Stephen Colbert admits that she's just not, she's, she's, she's muzzled. She's going to self-muzzle. What does that mean, people? What does that mean that Whoopi Goldberg and the view, the whole deal with the view is we're supposed to get out problematic views and kind of work it out. And Whoopi Goldberg is both right and wrong. I mean, she's wrong. She's mostly wrong, but she's wrong in a popular and productive way such that like we should encourage her to get that view out there and figure out like, actually, no, if, if Hitler says you're a race that's troubling its race, <laughs> the, the master race, then like you're the problem. Like, like you, you can't just say that you're not a race. They get to decide what race is, the people who have the guns. And so like you divorce liberal analysis. I mean, you divorce this like discussion of race from discussion of power and you get things, you get stupid, you, you get unfortunate comments. And we, you get the idea, you get the notion that you get to decide every attribute about you and you don't get to decide every attribute I got to you. When I'm running away from the Klan, I can't say like, well, you know, my dad's not African-American um, or, uh, or, or my kids, uh, my kids are, uh, are black. I, I call them black because they're my kids and they're black and, and uh, the mom's white. And, you know, if someone's chasing after them, they can't say like, well, you know, my mom is white. It's just not my dad. No, they're, they're, they're black. So the people with the guns get to decide what race you are, which is why, you know, I'm okay with black people getting guns. And two, um, we we can't divorce, we can't divorce uh, uh, these kind of social constructions uh, and historical constructions from the people who are in power in society and in history. You're right. Race is a social construction that the people in charge of society are <laughs> like like have the power to enforce. Right. So. Um, yeah, so Whoopi would, uh, so Whoopi got slapped down by a sister, and I think that's a very important. What does it mean? So does it make you feel better when a lady cop puts you in jail? Does it make you feel better better when a lady judge, black lady judge? I want to get put in prison by a black lady judge. Does that is that gonna make you feel better? Is that gonna is that gonna make you feel just? Oh, uh, if it's a black lady teacher who who disciplines your son, and if and because I think Whoopi got, I I don't think she should have been suspended. I, th I don't think she should have apologized. But if you think what happened to Whoopi is bad, just imagine what happens in these, these schools. In these schools um, that just like kind of wild out on punishing black, black, especially black boys. So if you think Whoop, um, Whoopi getting punished quick, as opposed to like Tucker Carlson or Bill O'Reilly or like any local Fox guy who's can say anything, like, Donald Trump can call whole countries shitholes. 
And he can do that. And we can have a we can almost have a productive con- uh, conversation because you know I actually think there could be a productive conversation about that. But he won't get put in timeout. Because <laughs> um, that's because that's what power means, right? You can speak your truth. Whoopi Goldberg, the most high-profile black woman we got, one of them, can't speak her truth. So what does that mean for us? If you want us to be free, then you need to see on my side of the argument. And you need more people... You know, saying what I'm saying, because you know they're gonna say, they try to send one of these, um, uh, you know, very educated, professional class black women after me when I, they were trying to get rid of me at UGA, and I, she, I'm here, and she's been moved on because when I put them down, they stay down. So, like, uh, you just gotta understand that one, not all skin folk are kin folk, and some people's whole job is to manage other black people. And that's, and that's not, that's not a job you want. That's not a job you want for your kids. That's not a job. Um, that's not something that, that, that's good for your soul, but it's a, it's a good job in these United States. It's a well-paying job in these United States, managing, (laughs) controlling other Negroes. And, uh, I think that's, that's a problem. All right. So now I'm going to talk about survivorship bias. Survivorship bias is the notion that whatever you're analyzing, the material that you're analyzing and building and kind of evaluating has itself survived a selection process where you've selected some parts and overlooked others. Now, um, there's a book on this by a guy named David Lockwood. Uh, maybe not David Lockwood. 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 It's, it's in the other room. Uh, it's called Survivorship Bias. You can find it on Amazon. Lockwood is the author's name. He's a business professor, so it's pretty readable. And he just talks about, like, he starts off talking about hedge funds, and I'll go back to that. But he starts, the funny part is when he talks about self-help advice. He's like, books like Seven Habits of Highly Effective People and all of that stuff. And what happens is that, like, sure, all these highly effective people have these habits, but there are all of these other people (laughs) who also have these habits and are not living their best lives, would you believe? Um... So it's, so maybe it's something else besides the habits. It's habits plus. And I want to know what that plus is. So he was like, you, get, you have survivorship bias insofar as, sure, all of these highly successful people have these habits, but there are all of these other people who have these habits and are just going to die early. Um, and then tired and confused about why they haven't arrived. Um... And, and 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 why they haven't arrived so survivor so um highly like a lot of people could have these successful habits and still not make it <laughs> and that's and that's how you get confused so you get confused about what advice to take what not advice not to take and if you're in, in, in black people if you're on the other side of this you know that like this becomes an issue because people are confused about their own like etiology or their own success and and there's a way in which you don't want to listen to particularly successful people because they might not be the most self-reflective about their situation. So there's that. Um, restaurants, another great example. Most restaurants go out of business, but you don't see most restaurants. You see the ones that are standing, right? So uh, within three years, most restaurant, like, restaurants go out of business all the time because like, the margins are low. It's very hard. Franchising is a little bit better, but it's all just kind of a pain in the butt. But the ones you see have been around for seven years or longer, and so you think, oh, yeah, well, you know, I might as well roll the dice and try to open up a restaurant. 
but um, it's because you don't see the failures. Now, in some degraded towns, you see the failures because you see the shop doors still open, but for the most part, you don't see the failures. And so you don't understand uh, like that most restaurants go down. There's no capitalism without capital. If you don't have capital and you try to open a restaurant, it's probably going to fail. I don't know what to tell you, but you don't see the failures, and so they're occluded from your judgment. Another thing, hedge funds. I'm going to explain to you hedge funds real quickly. All right, so hedge funds are managed accounts where they take your money and invest it, and it's supposed to beat the market. And say the hedge fund managers usually get a pretty good taste of the, uh, the, the money, they, the profit they make. So if you give a hedge fund manager $100, the stock goes up to $120, they get $4. But then if it dips, they get nothing. They get nothing. They get absolutely nothing unless it goes back up over $120. Not just over $100, $120. So you've set a high watermark that if the fund dips, it doesn't, uh, nobody gets paid until it goes back over. So what the hedge fund managers do is they just close up shop and start a new hedge fund. They close up shop, pay out who they can with the money they can, and then start a new hedge fund with a new normal and, and do that same same game. So when you look at hedge fund success that beating the market, you don't see all of the hedge funds that have uh, gone out of business, which is a lot of them, right? And all right, so there's, and then there's, you know, medical, medical studies are another one of these because medical studies, journals are slow to produce negative results, like results that say that pills don't do anything. And... Um, the placebo effect is actually really real. So even if your pill doesn't do anything, if you're told it is and you take it, like it'll, you'll work, it'll do work on you. So what happens is that we end up taking a lot of medication that's not actually doing things, especially antidepressants and um, with, especially with moderate and, and, and mild depression, the pills won't help you. You need to, there's probably something else in your life. Um, but uh, yeah, so we're going, we're over medicated, all these hormone treatments, all these things that, you know, 20 studies will come out that say it worked, 25 studies will come out and say it won't, but we'll only study, we'll only publish two of the studies that says it won't, and we'll study, we'll publish all 20 of the ones that says that it does. So you'll have just a, a distorted view if you're trying to make a judgment about whether these pills are good for you. Right? And it leads to over-medication because a lot of the pills don't work, right? And, and I'm not just talking about the antidepressant stuff. It's just, it's just a culture, a culture. But the placebo works. So what do we do with that? Right? So what does survivorship What does survivorship uh, have to do with uh, racial justice? All right, so we try to analyze systems with the pieces that are there, like understanding the laws that are there and the politicians that are there as they stand. We don't, and the arguments that are there, we don't do the arguments about the people who get, about the selection of the people who got cut out. Right? We don't actually think about why didn't this bill make it out of committee? And for example, in California, they just killed uh, a Medicare for all vote. And they kill the vote because no one wants to be on record. It's a whole one-party democratic state. They kill the vote because no one wants to be on record voting against it. So it just disappears. 
we don't have the conversation because it, the record disappears. Now we could debate the three or four other policies that are like private insurance policies, right? So that is that we debate we debate and try to organize the functioning of the existing policies without figuring out like why better policies never made it. Right? We um, some courts some cases make it to. Uh, court other cases don't make it to court and always fine because like Rosa Parks wasn't even the first she wasn't the first young woman who sat in the, sat in front of the bus right but we talk about her because the other woman was selected out uh, and what does that mean that you had to be the right kind of black to to um, to to, launch, to to move the civil rights movement forward or we thought you had to be the right kind of black all right so what does it mean what does selection bias mean um, in terms of how we think through even systemic aspects of racial justice. And when I say systemic aspects of racial justice, I say racial justice uh, aspects that can't be reduced merely to some people's subjective feelings or even the objective laws on the books or the functioning of all the objective laws on the books. It's something else. It's the reason why certain laws aren't on the books. Why isn't there better labor policy? Like, instead of figuring out like how to organize within the labor policy we have, we have to ask the question, why is it the better labor policy? We need a federal job guarantee. We need more protections for unions. Why does that stuff get killed? Oh, because it would, you know, empower black people because we work for a living. So what does it mean that certain policies, why aren't there more congressional debates? Nancy Pelosi won't sit for a debate. Won't sit for a debate. So she's selecting out who gets to talk to her and who gets to question her. And like opposing candidates don't get to do that. Only like media who, they, who knows that if they give her a hard time, uh, Pelosi will cut them off. So our entire discourse, our democratic discourse is, uh, is, is vulnerable or liable or um, held hostage by a, survivor, by a survivor bias because we don't get to hear the candidates who don't make it past the selection process. We don't get to hear the issues that don't make it past the selection process. So we just have to kind of analyze the issues we do get. And that's the whole problem because all of the real stuff gets weeded out before it gets even like um, uh, actually realized so that we can debate it and analyze it. This is why like, I need my own program. I need to be independent because Except for breaking points, every now and then, Crystal, Crystal and Saga do a good job. They had me on. They had me on uh, this week. I, I get invited and disinvited rather often. I get invited because people like hearing what I want to say. And then I get disinvited because they're terrified of, they start thinking about like what I might say. And I get disinvited rather often. But so I need, if you want these ideas to survive, you need to go to www.funkyacademic.com and kick in five, fifteen, or fifty dollars a month. And I will not only try to survive; I will try to thrive. But yeah, there should be. M. Smith said Pelosi's constituents allow it. No, they don't. They don't have a choice. They don't have a choice. She controls the media. She doesn't let anybody else get media attention. There is no. The constituents are held hostage. It's you know, if you don't know Saddam Hussein. Before he was elected, he won 99% of his vote. And, 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 and before he was um, killed, he won 99% of his vote in Iraq. Won 99% of the vote. You could say the constituents supported Hussein. Or 
That's just what it is to be in an authoritarian state. It was actually easier to get rid of Hussein than it is to get rid of Nancy Pelosi. The Republicans had a plan for, for Hussein. Um, uh, so what you have to understand is what are the laws that don't get into place? Why don't they get into place? As opposed to just trying to understand the functioning of the laws that are in place, understand the real law is the one that the story is in the abortions. The stories in the laws that get killed in committee. The stories in the things you're not going to talk about. The stories in Whoopi Goldberg saying on Stephen Colbert after the incident that I'm just not going to talk about this anymore. I'm just not going to talk about these issues anymore. I'm going to go on and talk about fruitcake, whatever else they do on the, the view. Right? So what does that mean? That Whoopi's being silenced. That Whoopi's being silenced. Whoopi. A legit stand-up comedian, actress, who then like hosted Oscars and and then now just got smacked and 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 put uh, put in the corner for two weeks. They put Whoopi in the corner, and you're trying to tell me black people are free. You're trying to tell me black people are are, are free. Um. So. Survivorship bias. There's been a prior selection process where we that where like things that were selected out are overlooked, and we only deal with what happens to happen. But you know, one of my favorite examples of this is quarterbacks at uh, at University of Georgia. You can go to University of Georgia website and see the quarterbacks and the all the quarterbacks on the the team is black. The team is black. There are a few the white people are quarterbacks, a tight end, and all your quarterbacks, <laughs> and maybe like a special teams guy, right? So. Um, the team is black, and it's the number one football team in the nation. You could say that, well, that means it's a racist institution. I'm like, well, UGA might be a racist institution, but not because of that. It's, um, they could just say, like, we took, the best, uh, we took the best quarterbacks in the nation at the time. The question is, why is the best quarterbacks in the nation at the time black? <laughs> like, why is that? Um, and so you have to go down to Pee Wee League where this happens. So in Pee Wee League... Um, you know, Pee Wee League's kind of about winning, but it's mostly about fun. And it's about the kids' esteem. So you just put kids in, in positions that the, the parents will like and the kids will like. And, and the, the you know, little white kids see themselves as quarterbacks because that's what they see. And the parents want them to be quarterbacks because the, the parents want their kids to be, you know, whatever. And the black kids are just happy to play. And so if everyone you can equalize everyone's fun by just making white kids quarterback there then it gets a little bit older and the, the sport gets a little bit more brutal and then white parents start pulling their kids out of football and start putting them in baseball <laughs> or something else and um except for the quarterbacks right so white kids if they could have played and would have played and would have excelled they start getting pulled out um to play safer sports and instead of actually changing football and having that conversation, we just said, like, well, we'll just take the white kids out and we still get to have a game. That means we get the white quarterback, but we'll just have black people in all the punishing positions. In the, pun the punishing and punisher positions. So what, what does that mean? Um, then you go to, it gets more competitive in high school. Then you're like, well, I just, I'm just looking for the quarterback with the most experience. And guess who's going to be the quarterback with the most experience? Right? It's going to be the white kid who started in Pee Wee League and now has specialized training and made it through the first calling because they didn't start out through, they didn't start out as defensive backs or safeties or any of the hitting positions, uh, linebackers. Um, so you're going to end up with 
you know, your white, your white quarterback with the most experience at quarterback and, and black people with the most experience at all the other positions. And that's if you want to win. And then it gets even more and more and more um, the case as you go up and it gets more competitive. So, and then, you know, these are skilled positions. So it's not as if you can just switch over. Um, I mean, you can, but it, it gets complicated at the higher level. So at no point in time were these logics racialized yet they always selected for the white quarterback and against the black, the white linebacker, right? And so you have to think about, you can't just say, well, the NFL's racist, which is true, but that's not what's doing a lot of work. It's, it's the, select, the material they get. And so when the NFL just picks like the best quarterbacks for the different systems, they're gonna end up picking like, you know, Mostly white guys uh, who have experience in the system, like of a big, fast football team, right? So, what does that mean? How do we work around that? Well, if you just try to go for outcomes, you're not going to get it because you don't understand the logic of the system. You have to figure out why haven't we changed football so that white people feel comfortable playing all the positions? Like, that's a good question. Um, why aren't there more white linebackers? And, and, and why aren't, and so the question is, why isn't just why aren't there more black quarterbacks? It's why aren't there more white linebackers and more white, white punishers? And what do they do instead? And what does that say about, you know, the black economy? That, 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 that that's, we get our job punishing people and being punished. So that's, uh, there are, there are questions, the systemic analysis that we can do and not just try to just focus on outcomes, but focusing on like, Actually, each of these selective barriers pick some people and overlook others and then produce material for the next barrier, that, that, for the next competition that just sees this material as given, right? They just see it as given. And it's, and it's it's working on a completely different logic because the logic of peewee is different than the logic of, of junior high football team, which is different than the logic of high school and college football, which is different than the logic of the NFL. Some people are playing for fun, and then some people are playing not to get hurt. Some people are playing for um, a little bit of prestige, and, uh, and then some people are playing for money, right? So like these are all different logics selecting um, the material that's produced by the prior uh, tier. So we have to see how race is operating at each tier, and maybe we should adjust the game so that race doesn't operate in this way. If people are not choosing football because um, there's no money in it, then maybe we should pay players. Like I'm talking like high school and college players, all right? So if that's so, or especially college players, right? So if that's like we need to look at why is it the case um, that at each level. Some people are overlooked or are getting either self-selected or selected out and not just look at the people who arrive. Um, and because the, the default is to look at the material as given and then kind of create from that as opposed to do the analysis and think about what was the pre-processing that makes it the case that this is the material that's given. All right, so thank you for your time. Uh, the survivorship book is by a guy named Lockwood. Go ahead and go to www.funkyacademics.com and help out. I'm trying to provide a, provide a service for the people, for the peephole.
Take care, and I will see you next week.